Well, we're continuing our series, What If Jesus Was Serious? And we're looking at one of the greatest messages ever shared in world history. It's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And today we're looking at this big idea. If Jesus was serious, then transforming our world happens one heart at a time. Now, I've been so excited about this series, and I've probably shared this with you way too many times, but the Sermon on the Mount changed my life. When I was really new to truly following after Jesus, I, I actually began to think, what if Jesus was serious about these words? In fact, I was so convinced it was important. I memorized Matthew 5 through 7. I cannot hardly memorize five to seven words now, <laughs> but... But when you're younger, your brain is more plastic, which I think is a good thing. And uh, I, I memorized Matthew 5 through 7. And more importantly than that, I tried to actually start living it out, start believing it was true, start trying to live like Jesus, trying to think like Jesus. And so you can imagine how excited I was when years later, I was invited to be part of the filming of the Sermon on the Mount for the show, The Chosen. And so it was an incredible opportunity, and I know some of you have seen me share these pictures, but I'm going to do it again, because <laughs> some of you haven't seen it. Here's a picture of me. This is what I look like at the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> yes, that was my uh, very authentic costume. Here's uh, Trevi. My daughter was with me. There she is. This is also Trevi. It was 20 degrees with a howling wind. It was the Wednesday before the ice apocalypse. Two days before a 100-car pileup on the freeway in Fort Worth, if you remember that, back in February of 2021. Here's the crowd. This is what we looked like before they said, okay, everybody take off your masks and your hoods and look ancient, right? Uh, and, and then here is me frozen. You can see I have eyebrows with icicles on them. And here's the actor playing Jesus, wearing a coat. Uh, Jesus looked cool even when it was cold, right? And then here we are in the crowd. I'll show you where, so you can see us in the crowd. See the circle. We're right to the right of it. See the right, far right? That's me. Notice how Trevi is sitting down as slowly as humanly possible. Oh, you can hear them talking. But see it right there, far right. Trevi's in green. I've got the black. So it just so happened, uh, before you show that, uh, it just so happened that they interviewed another extra and that's where that last video came from. And so I, I could show all my family and friends, look, just to the right of the people they actually want you to see is us, right? And by the way, I've never seen my daughter sit down more slowly. She wanted to be the last one to sit, you know, in that moment. So do you, you want to see us in action? Here we are on the big screen. Keep your eye on the left. Go ahead. Here we go. Just left of center right there. See us? There we are. We are now famous. Well, that's right. Isn't that great? So even cooler, I think even cooler, it's the last scene in season two and the first scene in season three. <laughs> so we're in two seasons of The Chosen, uh, me and Trevi. 
And if you haven't seen the show, I, I really do highly recommend it. They do a really beautiful job of, of what it must have been like, what it could have been like to have heard of this man named Jesus, to have been invited to follow this man named Jesus. It's now on Netflix, and I think even on Prime, uh, you can even download the Angel Studios app, which, by the way, John Burke has featured in a new movie from Angel Studio called After Death. Uh, so he's famous now, too. Not as famous as me, but uh, he's getting there. <laughs> right? But I want you to put yourself back in that place 2,000 years ago. Maybe you could relate to someone in the crowd enamored by this teacher who's saying things no one else had ever said, becoming incredibly popular. He's doing miraculous things. In fact, you've heard stories of, of friends of friends who were actually healed by Jesus. And then there was a moment where you could go and hear him yourself. Maybe you show up for the experience and you see that there are Pharisees, the religious leaders there. Well, if they think this is true, then it must be true. And then you realize they're scowling. They're not excited. But there's also sick people. There are people who weren't welcome in the synagogue that were there to hear him. Prostitutes, tax collectors. And then there were these disciples, men and women, who had left everything to follow after him. See, depending on who you identify with most in the crowd might determine how you hear what he has to say. See, we live in a dark and broken place that's in need of healing. And we can just watch the news to remember the evidence that this world needs Hope, this world needs healing. Not just over there, but here and here. And Jesus shows them that there's actually something that I am going to do about the evils of this world. There's actually something I'm going to do to bring hope and light. And here's where it gets even crazier. He then says, and I want to use Such a masterful, beautiful message, a manifesto of a whole new kingdom, an invisible kingdom, one that is not advanced through weapons of war, but it's advanced through love and faith and hope. No borders can keep this kingdom from its expansion. So Jesus takes them from the spiritual macro to the micro to the molecular. Put another way, Jesus shows them the big picture, the goal the means through which this happens. And he shows them the origin of where this all takes place. The goal is transformation in the world. The kingdom comes. Remember Jesus' prayer? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the answer to that prayer. The means, living like the king by following his teachings. It's us realizing when we choose to follow Jesus, we're now in a new kingdom, an invisible kingdom of love and faith and hope. And the origin is the heart. That's where it starts in each one of us. So if Jesus was serious, then we bring the hope of the world. So let's read the passage that we're looking at today. Matthew 5, 13 says this, you are the salt of the earth. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. 
You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Verse 16, that's the linchpin of this passage. The goal is God's glory on earth, that people would understand how great, magnificent, glorious he is, how good he is. This means that our lives would be lived in such a way that doesn't point to ourselves, but rather points to the transcendent, that people would begin to see with their own eyes this invisible kingdom and how we live, how we love, how we care for others, where God's will is done through his people so that others can know the king of this new kingdom. Now, a lot of pastors and preachers and theologians have talked extensively about salt and light. And so I don't want to spend too much time parked here, but Jesus is a master of the metaphor. And he actually uses salt and light on purpose. There's this great quote from an ancient follower of Jesus, an early church father that said this, nothing is more useful than salt and sunshine. By the way, that was not an early Christian. Sorry, my bad. It's a Roman historian. But wouldn't life just be a little bit better if we had a little bit more sunlight, but not too much, <laughs> and a little bit more seasoning in our food, all right? Some of you are like, <clears throat> and not too much there either. <clears throat> but said simply, what Jesus is telling his followers that is that you are utterly essential, that it's for this kingdom of love and light to actually crack through the darkness, it requires you and me Actually, not just believing this, but actually living this out. See, before refrigeration, it was practically, salt was the only preservative. It flavors, it tenderizes, it cleanses. It's used in pottery and fertilizing, bleaching. It softens water and melts ice. Jesus was telling the crowd and tells us today, you are meant to add flavor to the world. You are meant to preserve and slow, reverse the decay of our dying world. You are meant to be salt and light, so stop sitting on a shelf and stop flickering in a corner. Jesus says that a disciple of the kingdom of God who does not live like this is worth about as much as tasteless salt or light that's been snuffed out. Jesus is saying if you are in the kingdom and you're not actually living out this new kingdom life, then you're going through meaningless motions. And eventually the ways of the world will trample you just like it does everyone else. See, Jewish tradition considered Israel or Jerusalem, God and his law, as the light of the world. But Jesus is saying that this can be true of anyone in the kingdom of heaven. See, in the past, in order to find God, you would have to go to his temple. And now the scriptures tell us when we choose to follow Jesus, we become a temple of God. And everywhere we go, we bring his presence with us because the spirit of God lives within us. Salt and light, you and I can bring hope to the world. One of my favorite quotes John Burke ever said when I first got here, I remember this, one of the first messages I heard him say this, when you don't have enough hope, borrow it from someone else. Wouldn't it be great if we became the people who had enough hope that we could share it? 
See, some of us are facing moments right now in our life that feel a little bit hopeless. And maybe you need to borrow a little bit of hope from someone else. You need to lean into your faith. You need to lean into community that that hope can rub off on you. Or maybe you're in a good place or a better than most place where you can bring that hope into where you work, into your neighborhood, into your home that others might be able to borrow some from you. Now, we are incredibly blessed, right? We have the opportunity to worship freely in our country and together we can actually build out buildings just like this. And we try to make it comfortable. It can be very difficult because that AC is very persnickety. Like sometimes when it's hot outside, it's too cold in here. And now it's actually colder outside than it is in here. But if we turn on the heater, it gets too hot. But if we keep it just right, it's pleasant. But I always encourage people, bring a, ga- a, a jacket when you come to Gateway South, right? just in case. You can always take off layers. You can't add them. And it's, it's important that we have a place that's comfortable, that you can come and actually explore faith or grow in your faith. But it's not okay for us to be comfortable with all that's wrong in the world. See, God is okay with comfortable church buildings, but it's, he's not okay with comfortable Christians who just enjoy the status quo and miss the fact that God is calling us into something more, into knowing him more, into bringing him into the world in which we live with love and kindness and justice. See, comfortable Christians too often become criticizing Christians. But it's important that we understand that the world does not see followers of Jesus like this. Too often the world sees us as hypocritical and judgmental and overly political. One pastor said, some Christians suffer because they're insufferable. In other words, sometimes the persecution that we face is because we're actually doing things that are not representing Jesus. But what if instead we were known by our love? See, instead of getting caught up in the culture wars, rather than throwing salt, we become salt. Rather, flashing a light to blind others, we are the light that illuminates the hearts of others. Rather than choosing to post our frustration with the world, what if we posted with an awareness that our friends and family who don't know Jesus have access to the internet. They can see what's in our heart. They can see the anger and the rage. What if we became the peacemakers? Because the peacemakers are called the children of God. We should stop looking to the ways of the world in order to fix the world. We should look to the one who created everything, who invites us into a new relationship that his spirit comes to live within us and can guide us in how to do that. Now, notice Jesus didn't say, you are the glamour and glitter of the world. (laughs) He didn't say, you are the iron fist of the world, so go dominate and win at all cost. He said, you are the salt and light. Go, be transformed and bring transformation to others. 
Verse 16, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Your life should add so much value to those around you that it's supernaturally drawing people to want to know the source, what makes you different. And so if that's the goal, then what does the mean? Here it is, simply, living according to the teachings of the Scripture as led by the Spirit of God. If Jesus was serious, then God's word must hold the ultimate place of authority in our lives. It's maybe a weird phrase, but it's this idea of, are you believing things about Jesus, or are you letting Jesus be the center of your life? Are you want to follow the ways of Jesus, to, to live like Jesus, to think like Jesus? Because if that's the case, we have his words in the scriptures, and he refers back to the scriptures as authority, authoritative, that can guide us and give us wisdom in how to live our life. Verse 17 and following, let's read together. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. We see from the beginning that Jesus' call to our lives is not weaker than the Old Testament law, than the Hebrew scriptures. It's actually more difficult to pull off. He, He didn't come to get rid of the Hebrew scriptures, he came to fulfill it. The smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet is the yod, and the smallest mark is the seraph. And so Jesus was so serious about the significance and authority of the scriptures, the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, that he said that whoever sets aside the least of these will be called least. It's a play on words to make a point. If Jesus was serious, then God's word must hold the ultimate place of authority in our lives. In essence, he's calling us to trust him, to grow to know him. That the more we read the scriptures and ask for his help to live it out, the more we become like him, the more we represent him to the world around us. And I know it's difficult. I know it's hard. And you can start with simply this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. When you think of all the laws and all the commands in the scripture, Jesus said, you can summarize all of the message like this. Love God with all of who you are and love your neighbor as yourself. And even that, if we're honest, is hard to pull off without God's help. I've often said it's, it's easy to say you love God. It's harder to love people because you need God's help to love people. And some of us might tend to be better at one or the other. We, we really love people, but we're still struggling with connecting with God. But both are so important and so interconnected. Now, for me, the primary way that God has spoken to me in my walk with him has been through the scriptures. In part, perhaps how I grew up and, and even my mentor, I had a, a guy just a couple years older than me, went to Texas A&M, don't hold that against him. And he mentored me and encouraged me to memorize scripture and, 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 and scripture was a way God spoke to him. And, and in my time here at Gateway, I've grown so much learning to hear God's voice in the silence and solitude and 
the midst of fasting or through dreams or through a conversation with someone who might have a, a, a word from God for me. But I can always tell if it's God's voice to me because the thought that I might have always calls me towards selflessness, always requires courage, and also is consistent with his scripture, consistent with his character as we see in the scripture. And some of you remember this. I, I felt real convicted as we were kind of coming out of the pandemic last fall. There were many of us that were part of this church family that gotten, had gotten derailed by the pandemic in terms of our walk with God. Too many of us were relying just on Sundays as the one time to really connect with God, and we're not connecting with God in between. And then all of a sudden, we didn't meet for six months on Sundays. And then all of a sudden, when we came back, it, folks were out of practice and coming on a regular basis like as they had before. And so last fall, I just kind of made the statement on a Sunday morning. I just said, I want to invite you to read with me through the New Testament, just one chapter a day, five days a week. I'll post a video every day on my social media that if you pray, God, show me what you have for me in this passage, and then you read the passage, and then you watch the video, then you can comment what God is showing to you or write it down in your journal. Now, when I said that, I didn't understand because I hadn't really edited videos to post on social media. I didn't realize that every social media platform has its own way of editing videos. And so what I thought would be 260 videos over the course of the year turned into five different videos for every single chapter in the Bible. I've gotten really quick. I've now done 1,210 videos. Yeah, I'm exhausted, but I'm, ex <laughs> but I'm loving it. And there's only 260 more to go. I'm counting, all right? But I can tell you it's been incredibly encouraging. I know some of you have been going through this with me all year. This might be the first time you've ever read through the New Testament. And I can tell you that part of why I did that is I knew I would stay faithful to that commitment if I was doing it with others, reading through the scriptures with others. And it just so happens now we're getting into the part of the scriptures that this week is starting with Hebrews, and then we get into some of these pastoral letters, and then the book of Revelation. And so if you're not already reading something in the scriptures, I want to encourage you to, to join us. Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, which is now called X. When we started this, it was called Twitter. Uh, even my website, these are just a way to follow along. Or maybe you're already reading something. I want to encourage you to keep reading through it. There's some great resources that, that I didn't have early in my faith, like the Bible Project which can give more context and help make more sense of some of the passages that may be difficult. If you take Jesus seriously, then it means spending time with him. And one of the primary ways we can do that is through the scriptures. And Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount that it's the wise who will hear his words and put it into practice. That's what he's inviting us to do. See, Culturally, and even as followers of Jesus, for some good reasons, but most for misguided reasons, we have moved from a posture of authority to one of authenticity. We look more like, does this feel right to me, or is this true to me? Ricky Eciona from our team calls this snobbery of chronology, that we believe that in 2023, 
because we have an iPhone and Wikipedia and TikTok that we know better and know more than the dummies who wrote the Bible 2,000 years ago. But do we really? There's a great quote from John Mark Comer, who's out of Portland, which is a lot like Austin. And he says this, when we live this way, we are throwing out millennia of the cumulative effect of human wisdom for the sake of 21st century enlightenment. The myth of progress makes us think we know better. It makes us believe we can and should redefine good and evil for ourselves. And that just takes us back to the garden in Genesis 3. See, Jesus is telling us, trust me. I know human nature. I know what you need. And we all need more of him. We need the peace and the joy and the love and the patience, the self-control that we can only find through leaning into our faith, allowing the Spirit of God to guide us to experience abundant life. See, the scriptures need to seep into our hearts at a molecular level in order to change us. And it's talking through it with a, a friend, a running partner, your roommates, your family, a, being part of a group that helps us live this out. We can move to a place where it actually changes how we relate to those we live with. Changes how we relate to those with whom we work. So at this point in the story, I, I would imagine that the Pharisees like what they've heard from Jesus so far. He's talking about holding up the Hebrew scriptures to the highest level. And then he's probably said something at this point that triggered them just a little bit. The Pharisees, by the way, were the religious leaders who thought they had it all together. They didn't need Jesus's healing because they were already whole. They were not broken. They were religious and holy in their own minds. Verse 20 tells us, Jesus said, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. It's one of those backhanded compliments. Have you ever had one of those? At first they were like, oh, wow, he's lifting us up. But why is the crowd laughing right now? <laughs> you must be as righteous as the Pharisee and the teachers of the law. And they're all like, ha, ha, ha. wait a minute, this is not a compliment, is it? I remember one time when I was in Los Angeles, uh, I was talking to the pastor and I was trying to grow and learn, like, what am I, what can I get better at and what am I good at? And I remember he, he said to me, you know what, Eric, you're really good at working with people who are more talented than you are. And I was like, wow, that's, wait a second. <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> anyone wanting to explain, you see, some people can only lead people who are less talented than them. And so the pool of people they can lead is very small. But because you can lead people who are more talented than you, then you have unbelievable range and possibilities. And I left feeling encouraged <laughs> and discouraged. <laughs> and I think that's what's happening here. I think the crowd understood. And some of the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law it took them a minute to realize, wait a minute, he's saying we're not even righteous enough. See, a religious mindset believes that I deserve God's blessing in my life. I have done all these things, so God needs to give me this. But a faith mindset realizes, you know what? I need God. 
I need his forgiveness. I need his help. I need his intervention in my life. I, I need God to help me. Having a posture of, God, I need you is far different than, God, I deserve this. And how many times have we struggled in our faith because we felt like we deserved something better than what we were experiencing? See, God did not promise us we would not suffer. He promised to be with us in our suffering. He promised to bring peace and joy and love in spite of our circumstances. See, if Jesus was serious, then goodness does not start with our actions, but rather with our heart. Verse 20 again, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. He's reminding them. Remember, just a few verses later, earlier, which by the way, this was all one message. We might read a few verses over the course of several weeks, but that he has just explained that blessed, invited into the kingdom are the poor in spirit, are the meek, are those who mourn. He'd already opened the door. If you missed last week's message, go back and listen. Jesus has opened the door to everyone in order for them to be in this kingdom. See, where does that leave you and me? If Jesus was serious, then transforming our world happens one heart at a time. The band is gonna come and they're gonna lead us in another song that I hope will help you connect with God. But I want you to think about where you might be today. Maybe if you're here and you've been following Jesus for a while, maybe you've become too comfortable, too complacent. Maybe you're beginning to blend into the world around you instead of standing out. Jesus is inviting you to let your light shine at work with how you interact with people. Being intentional about spiritual conversations, looking for those at work, in your neighborhood, in your extended family, among your friends who might need to borrow some of the hope that you found in Jesus. Or maybe you're here and you haven't been very receptive to the things of God. You might believe in your head, but you really haven't let God transform your heart. You can start that today. Or maybe you've been skeptical. I want to quote one of my favorite quotes about faith. It's this. Andrew Clavin said, if you believe, the evidence is all around you. If you don't believe, no evidence will ever be enough. What if you would ask God, help me with my unbelief. I want to trust you. I want to live the kind of life you created me to live. I'm not even sure you exist. Would you make yourself known to me? Whatever your next step is, my invitation is to take it today. The Hebrew scriptures tell this beautiful story, a promise from God that he can take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. See, when we allow Jesus to transform our heart, his spirit will guide us in how to serve. What is your next step to bring salt and light into the world around you? Maybe there's people in your life you know need to borrow some of your hope. Maybe right after service, send them a text, reach out to get together. Maybe it's to jump into something we're doing, serving on Sundays or serving at Fall Fest, or maybe it's to grow in your walk with God and, and join a group or come to the Hearing God workshop. There are opportunities for you. The catch is, are you willing to take them? There are kids that need mentors. Are you willing to mentor them here or in the city? So we believe that as a church family, that if we take 
things seriously, it can actually change things. That South Austin will be different if we start to live out this new way of living that Jesus describes. So I want to invite you to stand with us. With the darkness in our world, our world needs the hope that is inside of us when we choose to follow him, when we surrender our life to Jesus. Where do you trust God at his word today? If there's anxiety around what's happening in the world, trust that one day God will make everything right and that he's with us between now and then. In the meantime, one heart at a time, one life at a time, God wants to do something in us and we can trust him because he is a man of his word. Let's sing this song together.